Hello there, everyone. This is Dan Figella here with Tech Emergence, where we interview experts in the domain of emerging technology. I know we've gotten to delve into neuroscience with the folks at BrainGate and artificial intelligence with experts like Ben Gertzel. Rarely do we get to speak explicitly on the topic of consciousness. And today I'm honored to be joined by one of the speakers of the 2045 conference who is world-renowned as a quantum activist. He's our consciousness activist. He's a, a, a former physics uh, professor, quantum physics professor, uh, written many, many books on consciousness itself, including his most recent, Quantum Creativity, now travels the world speaking on this topic, none other than Dr. Amit Goswami himself. Dr. Goswami, how are you today? I'm good. How are you I'm very well. I'm glad to be able to have you on. And, and I knew that, uh, again, your perspective on consciousness from when I had seen you speak and from just knowing of your teachings, um, I think is rather unique, and that's why I thought it'd be such a great fit for some of our own folks and our own audience. Um, I, I want, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, it, it, it's it's unique from I guess uh, perspective of people of science and technology. It, it's it's not so unique when you consider the whole history of human beings. In our uh, last three thousand years of history, we have indeed many very sophisticated uh, spiritual traditions which have talked about consciousness in ways that we are rediscovering uh, if we take quantum physics. In, indeed, and, and yes, I, I think that uh, that is a, a more than a more than apt preamble. In fact, I, I recently, uh, my girlfriend actually recently finished a, a wonderful book called the, the Quantum and the Lotus, talking about some of that overlap of, of ancient wisdom. And I think that I've been unique in the respect of being unique from some of the folks at the 2045. Obviously, the traditions from which you draw uh, have been around for quite some time, as you more than uh, ably pointed out. Um, in terms of that uh, semblance of a perspective on consciousness. I know that you know you've spoken widely on the topic that, in many regards, at least in Western society, we've sort of treated anything that's potentially immaterial as non-existent or not even possibly existent, and that it must uh, reside somewhere in the domain of superstition. Um, how how do you teach folks in the Western world or, or elsewhere um, to deal with, understand, reconcile the the notion of a potentially immaterial but still very real essence of what consciousness is. I really wanted you to be able to put it rather than I. Well, um, you know, there are many ways of teaching this. First of all, uh, uh, please note that you are, of course, uh, taking an exaggerated um, view of people in general. And people in general, even today, are not uh, exactly disbelievers of consciousness as a non-material nature. Uh, people in academia um, and people who are trained by the academia, and then the people of higher education, they, of course, uh, tend to have a built-in prejudice towards a material reality, and only reality being material reality. So for them, understanding consciousness has become a challenge. Because um, the problem is that material models make models of everything um, as a reductive model. It should be deducible to um, atoms, molecules, eventually eventually particles. So if you do that, the problem is that these are all objects. And the idea is that macro-objects can be broken down into micro-objects. And that is fine as far as it goes, uh, but only as far as it goes. Because um, the problem is that uh, objects end at some point. 
for example, in the human being, uh, evolution has given us the human being who has a brain with a huge neocortex, the uh, outside layer of the brain, um, which, uh, of course, uh, to great consternation of the materialist, uh, has experienced of being a subject. <laughs> and uh, looking at objects separately from that subject. Uh, this is a common experience of uh, most people. Uh, I think even if you are a staunch materialist, you still cannot deny that you do experience the world as I experience the world separate from me. So where does this separateness come from? Yeah. This is the problem, subject object because if you look at it, objects can only make bigger objects, but never can give you the experience of a subject that's separate. So um, this is a problem. This is a huge, huge problem. This is sometimes elevated to the unsolvable problem of neurophysiology. Other people poop with it and say that, well, maybe consciousness is just an associative ornament and um, every phenomenal, um, and we should not think much of it. Yeah. Um, now that's a that's a philosophical view, which of course denigrates the very uh, action of the philosopher himself or herself. Because after all, if the if the philosopher were relevant, every phenomenon of matter, then just simply by asking, uh, nothing can grow out of nothing. So you know, um, that elementary particle, does an elementary particle uh, need any of the human facilities that we have uh, uh, in order to express itself, could it? Um, human values, for example, is it possible for matter to experience or to process meaning or values? And if you will, this of course would immediately raise objections from the materialists. Um, we do experience ourselves having creativity and uh, free will, freedom. Uh, we covet freedom indeed. Uh, why do we covet freedom? I mean, these are questions that easily can open up big holes in the materialist argument. Indeed. Uh, I, like the, uh, I like the term, to great consternation of materialists. I, 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 uh, I do love me a fantastic word. Um, so, it, uh, on, on that very note, and, and, uh, and to that same point, yeah, I think it's, it's rather interesting sort of where the arguments around consciousness itself has gone as as sort of a, an ephemeral sort of film over a bunch of mental functions um, or, you know, ver various and sundry suppositions around the, the origin of consciousness and self and, and where it might go. I mean, and some of those questions have to do with sort of the, the potential future of consciousness in some respects. I mean, at 2045 conference, they were speaking a lot to some notions of potentially transhumanism or enhancing or, or gain, gain, gleaning a deeper understanding of what maybe consciousness uh, is and and I know that you know um, potentially my my cat at least to some degree is conscious, but then I consider myself maybe to be a little bit more conscious in terms of having some semblance of values, a sense of humor, being able to write poems, albeit relatively bad ones, um, and uh, and there's a thought that maybe humanity isn't the last stop of the the height of what consciousness is in that there's a further trajectory there, whether it's biological and we, we evolve further as we did from something else, if that was in fact the case, um, or non-biological, if, if 
you know, we can augment sort of our function of memory or, or maybe different creative faculties or, or maybe our empathy or even entirely different senses and emotional feelings that we don't even have access to today. Um, do, do you see or how do you see maybe that potential further reach of, of consciousness um, even farther along than, than maybe we are today? Well, you know, I, uh, I see it somewhat uh, as a curious thing that, you know, unfortunately I think we have gone, we are going uh, under scientific materialism in the wrong direction altogether. We are missing the boat. The reason I say that, and hopefully uh, it will resonate with the audience sooner or later, you have to be a little patient with the idea because we have become used to matter being everything for quite so long. You have to get used to the idea of thinking that maybe matter cannot be everything. You know, the first question that makes us doubt, of course, is that everything is built on elementary particles. So whatever was not latent in the elementary particle cannot all of a sudden just emerge, and especially categories. Um, matter is the information processor. You can, you can matter at the highest level, which up to now, the highest level of matter that we have produced is uh, computers with the ability of computing. Yep. So, and it is very clear that matter is very good for processing information, both True. to store it, compute it, um, reorganize it in very many ways, and uh, we can work with it injecting our meaning into the computer. Yep. And we certainly can even think of going further with it. But we are always injecting our meaning. And because the assumption is that we are no different from materials, immediately you start assuming that computers also can process meaning because we are processing it. But the point is that if you think of the brain as a computer, uh, then again, who is processing it? And then the only option you have is that evolution has Evolution has given it the power of processing, but again, you know, it, matter cannot process meaning in the first place. Matter cannot compute meaning, and meaning, as I said, cannot be computed from information. Information can make a representation of meaning, but that's it. Information is basically a symbolic computation, symbol operating on symbol, and meaning is a different logical category altogether. So this is one way of arguing. In quantum physics, we approach things in a completely unexpectedly different way. And if you take quantum physics as reality, as, as all physicists do, because in physics we just look at the success of quantum physics and we just say, how wonderful, how wonderful. We cannot stop because it explains everything. So uh, that kind of uh, physics impresses us so much that we have to take its lesson verbatim as of super important, super uh, in terms of telling us the nature of reality itself. So what you get from the get-go, and this is from 1920s, which has been well known from the get-go, that all objects are waves of possibility. What does that mean? Possibility, if you think about it, is not this world. In this world, everything is concrete. Everything is particle-like. And of course, there was a huge um, resistance of people accepting uh, the possibility waves as reality. And then experiments after experiments, such as double slit 
experiments and many other experiments revealed that no, there is just no way of getting rid of the idea. Where do possibilities reside? Immediately, people were forced to uh, postulate that there are two domains of reality. One is the domain that we experience most readily, the domain that Newton talked about and we have space and time, matter moving in it, the domain on which scientific materialism is based. But then we must postulate, in order to understand quantum physics, another domain where quantum waves of possibility reside. Now, is this domain real or just an artifice of mathematics? It's real. Because what Alan Aspey and uh, his collaborators discovered in 1982, it showed us a way of discerning between the two levels of reality. The domain of possibility or potentiality is differentiated from the domain of space-time by a very simple fact. In the domain of potentiality, communication is, is instantaneous. Communication yeah. is instantaneous. It means it's outside of space and time, literally. In space and time, everything must move with the maximum speed limit of the speed of light. But in the domain of potentiality, uh, objects move with infinite speed, which means that there cannot be any object that uh, produces communication from one place to the other. There is no object that needs to um, uh, interject itself, needs to mediate communication. Communication instantaneous means only one thing, that in that domain, everything is one. So this oneness of everything, the idea, the way that consciousness was depicted by uh, ancient people uh, 3,000 years ago, starting 3,000 years ago, and developing this spiritual tradition, that uh, all is that one. Forget names like God that aggravates the scientific materialism. But what is consciousness? It's pretty neutral. This consciousness is one. And then that one consciousness becomes many, uh, and this is where quantum measurement tells us how a theory can be built, which I have built in my various books. So today we have a well-established alternative to scientific materialism based on quantum physics, which posits the idea that we really start from a oneness reality called consciousness, which has uh, possibilities within it. When these possibilities are actualized by our measurement, then we get the manifest world that we experience. This um, enables us to include mind as a non-material uh, agency, vital uh, energies, feelings as a non-material agency, values, archetypal values as non-material agency, and therefore fills in all the gaps, logical and experimental, of the scientific materialist approach. Huh. And with, uh, with an understanding of this non-material and united domain of, of uh, potentiality, um, is, it, is it to be supposed, so I, I think that um, I think that any any sort of direct metaphor is probably inept in some way, shape, or form. But that you know, brain as computer certainly is is up to a lot of scrutiny in terms of uh, a really direct metaphor. And you had pointed out why in a number of different respects. Um, do you feel as though even even without that explicit metaphor and, and potentially with an understanding of this domain of possibility um, that 
tinkering with, even if it's not the actual particles uh, in in this in this realm, this realm of material, um, is is it possible to glean enough of an understanding of that domain of of possibility of potentiality to be able to move beyond outside of sort of meditative practice, move beyond what human level sentience and consciousness is by gleaning some semblance of an understanding or sort of how have we more or less hit, I mean, material can take us to the level that we are at now, period, in terms of our awareness, our self-awareness, our understanding, our understanding of the universe, um, etc. In other words, even if the brain is not a computer, but we do understand this domain of, of potentiality, is it, do we have a hard stop with moving quote-unquote any further? So from a cat to a human, from a human to a blank, is there no blank um, given sort of, even if the brain is not a computer, in other words? Uh, well, actually, you know, I would modify your statement. Well, brain, part of the brain is a computer because brain can make computer representations of our mental meaning. Certainly does. For sure. And the brain, uh, parts of the brain that make this representation, we can even uh, produce enough of an artificial intelligence today uh, to suggest that indeed, once we write a software in our brain, that part certainly can be reproduced by even silicon uh, software in a silicon computer. Mm. So, but there is also the meaning processor, and that meaning processor mind is an essential uh, correlation correlate of the brain. And this correlate, correlation is a quantum idea. Um, quantum physics gives us the idea that, that two things can be correlated in such a way that it becomes one system. So we have this system called mind-brain, where mind is non-material, but brain is material. Brain makes representation of mental meaning. This is using the idea that brain is like a computer. It can make a presentation just as a silicon computer makes a presentation uh, of our meaning as software. Yeah. Um, there is, in additionally, in the neocortex, brain also has a purely quantum device called tangle hierarchy, which is what enables the brain for becoming conduit for our consciousness itself. In other words, in a, in a very computer language, not quite accurate, but in a very approximate way of thinking, you can think of brain making, making a representation of consciousness, a simile of consciousness, that we call ourselves, yeah. I. So in that way, brain is more than a computer. Of course, brain has to be more than a computer because brain also gives us uh, what we call emotions, and certainly emotions are not computable. So. Um, we already know, just by the existence of our emotional experience, that brain cannot be just a computer. But part of its part of the brain is a computer. So, having clarified all that, let me tell you how I see evolution. Indeed. First of all, this is a very good question you were asking: that uh, is human being the end of it? No, that's just a very artificial religious statement. Belief, belief in that. Statement is equally uh, to be uh, criticized as the belief that we are made of matter. So, um, why is that? Because consciousness is obviously bigger than the human being. Obviously, yeah. the domain of potentiality is, is huge. We do not even know how far it extends. All we can do is to project the domain of potentiality from our 
experience, from the human experience. And, and then we ask the same question as you already are asking, right? If we talk about a cat, his worldview. From a cat's point of view, the world is much more limited than even the human being's world. For sure. That could convert. Of course, cat does not even have the ability of conceptualization. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, so its world indeed is very limited. If we could talk to a cat, cat would say that, well, feelings exist, I think. Yeah, yeah. That can, that's cannot, cannot know much about thinking because his thinking is extremely rudimentary. So, um, that being the case, uh, obviously we make uh, worldviews, quite sophisticated worldviews, so we have come a long way uh, from cats to primates to humans, but we should never think, we should never think that this is the end of it. In fact, uh, in some of my books, I openly uh, make the assertion that this would be a full thing to do anywhere, and we could readily have, you know, right now we have something that the brain cannot do, like direct representation of intuition, we do it the mind. But now obviously then there has to be a brain that could make better representations of uh, the uh, archetypes that we tweet. Like, we, we could easily think of a future brain which could represent love directly with um, um, a direct representation of love without the intermediary of, of thought, without yeah. the intermediary of thought and feeling that's connected with our body. So that kind of question becomes very legit. Um, and then uh, can we think of different higher facilities than intuition. Well, certainly we can. I mean, how, why should we close this uh, hierarchy of being? Um, so, you know, these are very, very good questions. We also, I myself, you know, the reason I went to 2045 conference, which was, of course, as to a very large extent with materialist uh, theories and technology sure. of the future. Yeah. Um, but the reason I went is that I wanted to hear some of it. I do not exclude, I never exclude the possibility that we might even be able to have material technology with which we might be able to form an interface. In other words, um, computers uh, obviously give a great advantage. Uh, if we could combine our um, capacity to do the two-level processing, namely not only processing the uh, actualized domain, but also processing the domain of potentiality. If we could bring that extra level of domain of potentiality to computers by making a brain-computer interface, like many people are talking about, this yeah. job of nanotechnology, which I heard at the, at the conference, you know, and this nanotechnology interests me greatly because indeed it is not impossible to represent our feelings and uh, meanings in uh, future computers in such a way that if we lend them our capacity to make representation of consciousness itself, that's the only thing that that the that the computer cannot do. Computers cannot make a tangled hierarchy. If the tangled hierarchy is impossible to make in a silicon computer because it has to be made in a creative way and we are not that creative. 
So um, uh, that's the only thing that is missing. But if we provide it, if we provide it by making an interface uh, with the brain, then of course, you know, uh, a huge potential is open. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know when we can think of such interfaces in a technologically feasible way. Yep. But in the future, we certainly can uh, can envision that such thing would be possible. Yeah, and it, it seems as though it's in in many respects as as ethically relevant a innovation as has ever happened, arguably the grandest of all ethical relevance, being as we as human beings, uh, at least we maybe in our, in our uh, uh, perspective of, of maybe, you know, re respecting our own species in some sense, tend to think of ourselves in some way, shape, or form as higher uh, than the cat, per se, given our conceptualization, given our sense of humor, our creativity, our uh, sense of meaning and values and what have you, and if we can tap more directly into what that is explicitly and and potentially become something more in terms of being in touch with potential than we are now, then again, what what does that mean for regular humans? What does that mean for the rest of life? And and doesn't that just seem like the the most ethically relevant? Uh, innovation of all time, freeing sentience or, or enabling sentience in some... Absolutely. You are making a very, very good point. And the point is that by ignoring consciousness, we are becoming very limited creatures because we have ignored creativity itself. If you read my book, Quantum Creativity, what I show is that if you open up your access to this unconscious that we now have verified experimentally, you know, there are many experiments that suggest that unconscious is fact. There is just no doubt about it. So if we allow ourselves to process the unconscious in the way that quantum physics is suggesting, quantum creativity, then what happens is that our creativity indeed uh, takes a discontinuous what is called quantum leap um, in terms of what it can do and what it cannot do. So we will immediately an unprecedented flurry of technology in the domain of mind, in the domain of vital energy, which is feelings, another name for feeling, yeah. feel energy in our body, that we call vital energy, associated with our body, I should say, mm. our body is a little confusing, they are not physical, but these non-physical energies are of such uh, ubiquitous uh, facility and uh, such wonderful phenomena may come about if we learn to use it properly that uh, opens us uh, enormous vistas of future exploration of technology. It even so, will, yeah, we'll have to <laughs> see where the. I think that if we, if we, <laughs> if we can only uh, remove the limitations of thought that everything is matter, we gain. And not lose uh, right now. In, indeed, and I think there's more than something to be said of that, especially given those potential, that potential precipice ahead of, of freeing up more of the non-material elements via, um, you know, consciousness itself. And, and on that very note, uh, Dr. Goswami, first and foremost, I, I want to thank you myself for uh, being here in the interview and sharing your own wisdom 
and insight uh, with everybody. I, I know some folks are going to want to learn a little bit more about yourself. I know your, your most recent book is Quantum Creativity, which people can very easily Google. They can also go to uh, AmitGoswami.com. If you try to sound it out, you'll hit it pretty well. It's a pretty... pretty... AmitGoswami.org. Oh, .org, .org. Oh, goodness. Um, so, yeah, so that's an, an easy way to learn more about your research. I know that a lot of your videos and, and what else are up there. Any any other important resources for you if people want to learn a little bit more about yourself? Um, well, um, uh, you probably uh, can access a uh, video that was made about my entire work, almost my entire work, called The Quantum Activist. And, of course, I appeared in What It Is, Do We Know? That's a movie that also can but the best way to learn about the quantum is to read this book, Quantum Creativity, or any of my other books, like The Self-Aware Universe, which uh, is a classic in this work. Indeed. Okay, very good. So, everybody, you heard it from the man himself, Dr. Goswami. Again, thank you very much for taking the time for the interview here at Tech Emergence. My pleasure. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker, uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, and be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Uh, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>